Welcome to Rogue Bogues, episode one of the Car Chat series. So something we're going to be doing periodically from time to time, just talking about um, you know the car car scene in Australia, even in America to an extent, collector cars, prices, what's going on in the market. Talk a little bit about my collection, and and we have a co-host, Justin Ellis, a good friend of mine, huge car nut, knows his shit about a lot of different things, especially Australian muscle cars. Um, HSV specialist, in my opinion. So welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you, thank you. So good to be a part of it, and great intro song. Great intro song. <laughs> yeah, keep it lighthearted and fun. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. But I guess the reason for doing this is we're, we're both passionate about cars. We kind of noticed there wasn't, you know, too many podcasts out there that kind of discussed what's going on, especially with the market, um, what, we've, what we've been seeing lately. And we kind of came up with an idea to, to do this. We don't know how often we'll be doing it. We'll kind of play it by ear and, and how many listeners we have. But um, I guess tell us your history, what you do, um, how long you've been involved in the, in the car scene. Oh, look, I mean, probably 20 plus years now I've been involved in cars. So, um, interesting, I mean, my first word um, was car and uh, old man had some HSVs and things early on and went to, yeah, the HSV owners club meet uh, for the, you know, the Victorian club. Yeah, I guess pretty much had nearly every HSV you can think of over time. Met a lot of good people along, along my car journey and helped a lot of people source cars and things. So, um, yeah, absolutely love them. And you wouldn't be, uh, I think you're similar to me, you're not an all-in Holden, all-in Ford guy, you're kind of, you're more slighted towards HSVs and Holdens, but yeah, you're, not, definitely. you're not a, you know, fuck Ford because I like Holden. No, not at all. I mean, look, yeah. if I was actually asked a question the other day, you know, what is the ultimate Australian-built muscle car? And, you know, of course, you've got your XY, GDHO and everything, but um, from the plastic bumper stuff, um, yeah, freaked a few people out, but I actually said the F- FPV F6, you know, so if you kind of have a look that W427s, W1s and things to me have American engines in them. You know, so if you kind of look yeah. at pure Australian built, that Barra engine is incredible. So I actually own FPV R-Spec uh, Typhoon myself. So um, yeah, did that did freak people out, but there you go. So I am a HSV nut, but um, yeah, it comes down to the point is, you know, what is an ultimate good car? And yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I believe you have to put that to the side. So How many cars do you reckon you've had since you, basically since you were able to purchase from 16, 17, 18, how many do you reckon you uh, had? The easy Probably would be, you know, 30 to 50 or something. I'd have to go through them all, yeah, but yeah. I've, yeah, had a lot. So I was up to about nine at one stage um, all together and things. So um, Keeping the missus happy. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I think at the times that, yeah, when she fell pregnant and everything like that, that was my time to buy up cars and get away from the cranky missus. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so I have something to go out to. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you also also look for deals, flips. I mean, I do the same. We do the same. We, we There was a period where we were probably on car sales more than oh, yeah. we were- Spending time with our families probably throughout the, I think it was two, probably 2009 to 2012, yeah. 13. Probably still are to this day, oh, not exactly. as much. But back yeah. then, it was kind of crazy. That's all you kind of do at work. and Yeah, definitely. Try to find deals. And I think I think part of the fun sometimes isn't even buying the car. It's kind of the chase of getting the car. It's kind oh, of like yeah. negotiating with a buyer and, and trying to kick the tires a little bit. Not, not disrespectfully, but trying to get a lower price so that you can keep it for a year or two, enjoy a beautiful car, and then maybe yeah. flip it again. Yeah, I mean, look, that's the thing. I mean, you are spot on. I mean, I put myself down to the point that it is the whole thing of getting it, tidying up, enjoying it and things, and then um, seeing someone else within the network get that car and, um, 
Yeah, so and I, and I think I'll put that um, down to the point that I reckon whenever a rare HSV or something pops up on car sales, I know within the within my own network, I know you know I know now over these years, someone definitely will snap that up. So yeah, and you run the HCT HSV enthusiast page. Yeah, on Facebook. I do. Um, that was a funny thing with that. It actually started um, with myself. Um, well, I think yeah, actually you joined along in those early yeah, days. Yeah. Um, and Boomer anonymously. Yep. Yeah. So and um, Boomer, who um, anyone out in the HSV world will know him. Um, yeah we kind of started that is to the point going you know what with our with our network that um that's going to be easy for us to source cars and especially having the admin rights to see any for sale posts and things that pop up you know gave us early um you know that early uh little snap point to uh to grab some rare cars so it's um yeah grown i think six thousand four hundred in that group now so yeah and generally not not guys that are just posting stupid shit and doing dumb shit it's generally mo- mostly passionate people that yeah correct that are doing it for the so, right reasons anything like that i mean being admins and things we tie that up pretty quick and um yeah sometimes some idiots will post some stuff or bag someone out but um no nah, it is an absolute great group so and it's good to to be in a, a network like that if you are for, the, for people listening that are kind of you know, collectors or like muscle cars but don't know how to get involved is joining those kind of groups because yeah definitely a lot of people will know if a car listed is genuine, if it's been, if it's yep. if it's what it says it is. You know, there's a big big problem right now with people winding back kilometers, which we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah, but definitely. Those groups are very very important for that because you'll have people like yourself and whatnot that can say, hey, you know, I know this car. One of my mates had it, or someone in the group yeah, had exactly. it. You know, so, it's a different color now, or, or it's yeah. got a different motor in it, and that happens a lot in our industry. So yeah, exactly. How and why did you get first involved with cars? Was it just because your old man mainly family thing? Yeah, or? correct. So um, you know, I think it was just one of those things early on having matchbox cars and all that kind of stuff. But I've just been absolutely obsessed. So. And I think it's a whole point of, you know, collecting, you know, matchbox cars things when you're a kid and now you're older, cashed up and things, and you get to the point of actually collecting the real things. So, I mean, that will be the same as me. Um, my yeah. story with it is my dad was a mechanic, carburetor specialist for 20 or 30 years. So, it was kind of like when you had a public holiday and you couldn't go to school or even school holidays, I get dragged to the, to the workshop because yeah. you couldn't afford a babysitter, obviously. Yeah. So. I'd be around VR walking shores and Brocks and Ford GTs and he'd be working on all that kind of stuff. Drag cars would come in a lot and he'd be doing a lot of the carburetors on them and you always kind of, you know, were frothing at the mouth and drooling over these cars and you never thought I'd never be able to afford, afford one of yeah. these cars. So then you get in a position, I think that's most stories for collectors and oh, people definitely. with old muscle cars. You, you come into some wealth or, you, you know, your business is doing well, you're 40, 50, 60 and then, yeah. and then the, the addiction starts of like, let me get that one, let me get that one, let me get that one. And at one point for me, you know, with my old man, I don't know if you remember when we had the, we have the warehouse out in Dandong South, we mm-hmm. had we had over 50 cars in there at oh, one no, point. I was out of control. You, you know, my old man went a little bit crazy and- yep. His thing was mainly, you know, uh, steel bumper stuff from the States, the old school Buicks from the 50s and 60s and the Chev Valairs and all that. And it was like, I kind of had a, gave him an open checkbook at one point, which was kind of a mistake because every, every time I went in there, there was less, less, less and less room and it was a big warehouse. So, yeah. we've cleaned that up a little bit since, but that was definitely interesting. It's getting to the point of a collection of sprints, I think. <laughs> it was, yeah. He loved, loved his Ford Sprints, which was equivalent yeah. to, to a Falcon here in, in Australia from back in the day. But um, I mean, the cool thing about that was you got to experience like, especially with the American muscle cars, there's there's so many quirky things that they did back in the day. So, they had, you know, stuff like weird buttons for, for windscreen wipers. There were things in, you know, your, your, your Shelby's from the 60s had as soon as you open the door handle, it released a latch that flipped the steering wheel away from you so your knees could slide yeah. in the car. Just weird, nostalgic shit that was awesome back in the day, whereas today's cars are all kind of the same when you're getting in and out of them. But I enjoyed that. Like, and just driving some of them. Some of them drove like shit. The Buicks were like boats, you know. Oh, I remember driving that, yeah, driving one of those Buicks. That is unbelievable. 
Yeah, two and a half ton of just yeah. metal and, and no pa- yeah. no power steering, no drum yeah, brakes, and, and just yeah. floats from side to yeah, side. So if yeah. you had to brake quickly or or dodge a cat or a dog crossing the road, you had you oh, had yeah. no chance. Yeah. What would be your um, favorite car of all time? Oh, look, I mean, only one. You can only pick one car. Poster child car would have to be a Ferrari F40. So it's the one yeah. I reckon that yeah, if I've got a lot of money, I think they're about two million bucks now. But yeah, that'd probably be one that I'd have to have. Yeah, for me, it was probably probably the VR Walkinshaw for me. Yeah. It was just always a car that a few of my dad's mates had and, and there was a few in the workshop and it was it was hated back in the day. Yeah. Um, kind of still is by aficionados, you know, um, plastic pig they used to call it because it had a massive oh, body yeah. kit. But it was just something about it that was Australian. It was uniquely Australian and you'd see it and, and it was just a cool kind of new age hot rod back in the 80s, 90s era. And yeah, just definitely. A really cool color too, like a color that you don't see I'm these days. the silver. Yeah. Incredible. You just don't see it these days. Yeah. So I think mine from the HSV uh, range, well, some do call them a Holden, but to me it is a HSV, but it is to their VN Group A. So yeah. I think those first is six-speed manuals and yeah, they um, yeah, still love the VN Group A throttles and stuff, so um, very, they sounded very cool nice car. too. They ran beautifully out oh, of factory yeah. too. Great to drive, great to drive. Two fifteen kilowatts, so yeah, yeah it did really well. What was your first car? A nineteen ninety seven VS Commodore S Pack Ute in uh, Valencia Mica, which is a very rare color, but um, did all the things. Um, Seventeen inch wheels and everything like that on it. Lowered it <laughs> on your piece. Stuff. Was that on your piece? On my piece. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah. We were going down and trying to buy one at French Gallery Holden at the time in my school uniform, um, and they turned me away and kind of laughed at me, but I made a fair bit of money working at Juice Nightclub back in the day, and um, yeah, I went and bought that from Garen Ron Smith and actually went and drove it straight back to French Gallery Holden um, to, show to show them and say, <laughs> hey, I wasn't talking shit. I did buy one, so yeah. It's funny go. how that happened back in the day. I used to do the same thing after yeah. I got drafted. I'd go to car dealerships, and not a lot of people knew who I was at that point, and I'd go in, in tracksuit pants or sweats. Yeah, and, I remember doing that with you a few and a hoodie times. And, <laughs> and they wouldn't give you the time of day. It, yeah, was, exactly. it was actually awesome for me because I could tie a kick and look at cars without getting grilled by a car salesman, yeah. but- I mean, these days you just never know. There's millionaires that wear trackies, and oh yeah, you know the car dealers haven't really adapted because they think if you're not in a suit, you know, yeah. you're not ready to buy. Oh, uh, that's yeah, quite funny. I remember a few times you like that would turn up and you'd be unshaven and everything like that, and they turn around and say, "Hey, you're pretty tall. You should be playing basketball." And we just yeah, laugh it off, and yeah, yeah, they had no idea. Exactly. Mine was uh, my first car was a Holden, uh, just a Commodore Bellina, yeah, uh, VR, VR, yeah. VR, and yeah. Funny story about that: the people that own it. Still, people that bought it off me because I'd moved to the AIS, so then my old man sold it without telling me. And I, I love that car. That was thought, red as well. Wasn't yeah, it? I thought it was a beast. Yeah, but it, they ended up sell, selling it to to a family, and they reached out to me about maybe four or five years ago. They still had the car. Damn. It was parked outside the whole last twenty years, so it yeah. was basically the roof was rusted out and needed. And you know, they offered, to, they offered to sell it back, and I was like, "Here we go." I thought I thought it was going to be one of those things where you, yeah. you've got a bogus tax on it, and <laughs> they were pretty nice, like having five hundred bucks if, if you want it as your first car. But um, I was like, "No, nah, what am I going to do with it? I'm never going to drive yeah. it." It's got sentimental value, but I've kind of learned with cars and sentimental value, like it can get it can get oh, exactly, over the yeah. top. No, I think you got the ultimate. I mean, I would think, yeah, you'll. That was the main thing of getting the VR GDS for you because having the VR back then. Very similar. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, for me, it was my first car was, um, I guess, first muscle car was the Valiant Pacer. Um, and that's probably, that goes into a regretful sale for me um, yeah. and a regretful what I did to it. I, I bought an all original 1970 Valiant Pacer coupe in orange with the black pinstripes, all original. Yeah. And I, I stupidly took out the the six six cylinder and, and put in a v8 and got rid of that six cylinder i don't know where it is to this day it's floating around somewhere but um that was one i regret because it was an iconic australian muscle car from back in the day it wasn't yeah, a big yeah. it wasn't a big banger but it yeah. was just something that was a, a well-known car and um i wish yeah i wish i probably would have just kept that one original yeah 
was a damn nice car, that actually. Yeah, it was. Sold that probably about five years ago with the V8 in it. And yeah. I guess now, you know, with my collection, you were an integral part of, of helping me kind of form my collection, especially with the HSV side of things. Yeah. I guess I'll just talk about that a little bit. I mean, it's I've got a, a strange collection to an extent because it's kind of all over the place, but that's what I like about it. I mean, the, we'll probably more talk about the HTT and HSV side. It's, yeah. it's just, I think for me, it's, it's just amazing to be able to take one of those cars out, especially the Brock Commodores for me are probably the funnest just because Bathurst and the history behind them and, and obviously, you know, may rest in peace passed away. So, um, it's just one of those things that, that is just nostalgic to get into. Oh, exactly. And, and, you know, has been absolutely awesome helping you, you know, source the best of the best for what we've found over the years and everything like that. So, um, yeah, it's grown to be uh, just an insane collection. A uh, few that probably sold that kind of kick ourselves a yeah, bit now. Probably, be good to yeah. have now, but um, yeah, look, I, I think that's one of the main things that um, you know, being, and I guess to the point of having kids and things now. There's cars that you know I would have loved to. You know, kept over my time and things, but I know that you've still got them and I can come down here and I know I can take out whatever I want whenever I want and everything. So it's been, you know, fortunate to get to that point. But um guess it's been out of morning, you did say the VR walk and shore is number one, but what would be your your top three out of what you've got? Oh, I guess it's always hard with a with a, such a good collection. I like the Boss Four Twenty Nine that I, yeah. that I imported from the states. The problem with that is it runs really hot and it's not not the best to drive when it's when it's hot outside. So you got to be real careful with that. But that that's a I mean that's the fun part of driving a lot of old school muscle cars is you get, you got to drive them and you got to kind of yeah. know the intricacies of your car. You got to know you know what the, some days you might not be able to take them out for a long time. And and whereas today it's I think we take for granted how good technology is. You just jump in your car and you can drive to bloody oh, Queensland exactly, or all yeah. the territory and not have to think about it. Whereas yep. back in the day, you know my father's cars and whatnot, they'd be overheating on the side of the road and you have to kind of stop stop your, your travel for a couple of hours, let it cool down, yeah. and then go again. If you're in stop start traffic, you'd have to kind of be floating about in neutral a lot of the time to keep the revs down, keep the engine kind of cooler. So the boss is fun. The walk and shore. I mean, look, the W one for me. The, the GTSR W1, which we'll talk about a little bit later. I mean, that's that's a pinnacle, in my opinion, of of Australian engineering and technology. Just yeah. putting it all together into one. They, I think they did a fantastic job with that car. I mean, people thought it was overpriced when it came out, but I think for everything that's in that car, when you compare it to, you know, an M5 of its time and whatnot, it's right up there. Oh, definitely. Which is definitely. which is just absolutely amazing um, for for a Australian produced mu- muscle car. And I wish they would have kind of got onto that. That bandwagon a little bit earlier. I think I think both Ford and Holden got a little bit lackadaisical with having so many followers that were religious about HSV or FPV that they kind of started to cut corners a little bit. And like yep, a lot of definitely. the interiors started from model to model started being very similar, leftover parts from previous models, and they they bring out a, a special edition. I think they were kind of exploiting people's passion for it, and then it ended up getting lost from a lot of people because they're like, I'm not going to pay that for for that car because it's very similar to four years ago. Oh, exactly. And they moved on. But I think if they would have went to a kind of instead of mass producing and just gone to that kind of W1 spec or even a little bit, a little bit cheaper, like a W427 spec where you're 100, 150K, but you've got the bees knees of a Holden, I think they'd still be around today. Yeah, look, I mean, you are right there. I mean, um, and especially for being collectors, I mean, seeing things, I, mean, I had a Gen F GDS, LSA in it, everything, think great. You know, so GDS being the pinnacle of them all and then, you know, bang. Club sport comes out. Yeah. I was saying it. So then you're bitter about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. to the point, especially you know, being one of the guys who does like to get them and modify them and things like that. Well, you you get into that point going, well, hey, could have saved some money over here. Got a clubby. Yeah. You know, done pulleys and everything like that, upgrades, and then had an animal animal of a car with some change. So it's um yeah, does does get hard like that. But you are right with the Gen F GDS I had. I actually went from having a Golf R 
into that and you're seeing, you know, I'm seeing, you know, I think mine had eight, 9,000 Ks on it and then the leather were just on, on top of, um, on top of the dash is starting to move and everything. And, you know, you put it in, put them reverse, then back into drive and then you're driving for 600 meters and your reverse camera's still on, just little, little, little <laughs> bits and pieces. Yeah. That all those, um, you know, you get to that point, it's hard to compare to Euro, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I think like, right, the, cutting like, corners. like that W1 though, like I said, I think, you know, 180K was a sticker on it, even though we got we got marked up with dealers. I think that was good. Looking back, it didn't sound like value for money, but it was, it oh, was beyond. Exactly. You look yep. at even just the parts in that car alone, you could almost strip that car and, and sell the parts individually yeah. <laughs> to get your money back, oh, you know? Yeah, try and get an LS9 now, like that's the thing, big yeah. dollar motor. So, yeah. yeah. Which leads us on into the market, um, which is going to be a big part of yeah. kind of what we talk about on this pod from time to time. It's It's- I mean, what the fuck is going on with the market? Essentially, it's it's out of control. Um, we'll start with the W1 Malou, which you're very familiar with. Tell us a story about that car. Yeah, so um, a lot of fingers are getting pointed at me for shoving this market right up because I am involved in the sale of this W1 Malou. I was involved in sourcing them and the whole part behind them. So, um, yeah, stories all over the place of how many have made. Let's get to the point. Four made or tagged by HSV, four down the production line at HSV. So the official number is four around that. Um, it all kind of started. So, um, yeah, Ryan Walkinshaw, he did want a W1 Malou. So it got to the point of um, going, okay, so I want it. How do we get this to happen? Um, yeah, so got a phone call um, when all this was all bubbling away. Boomer was involved, so he wanted one, and yeah, so it was to the point of another one was up for offer. I lined that, I lined that uh, car up. So yeah, four produced there. Build number zero 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 one zero zero two zero zero three. So they're the official build numbers behind them. So Ryan got one. Uh, one of the other guys on the board of directors of HSV. Then one went to my boss Cam. And then um, also uh, one to Boomer there. So, yeah, and you offer it. I think you offered me one at the time, and I stupidly said no because I'm, yeah, not, a, I'm not a huge fan of Utes. But stupidly, I mean, I would have would have made what four x five x on my money. Looking back, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I did get to the point of trying to get a few heads together. But look, I mean, at the time for what these were selling for compared to what the sedan went for, you kind of look back and go, "Well, you'd have rocks and you had to pay extra for a Ute." But um, looking at it now, of how, um, yeah. How this has gone, none of us really predicted it because, hey, if you chrome bumper guys out there, I mean, I guess if you had a look at the leading car was um, a million and, and 30,000 for a um, yeah XY GDHO. If you kind of have a look, I mean, look, for the plastic bumper stuff, if you kind of looked at it, the HSV, what leading that I think was when, was that the HRT 427? I think it was 920,000. Yeah, 920 000. at one point before yeah, we exactly. looked at it. So yep. that's probably the um, most expensive HSV that's looked at. But um, yeah, now this WM Lou sitting at uh, a million and 40,000. With how many days to auction though? I think four days left there. And um, look, to a live auction, right? Yeah, to yeah. a live auction. So it, I think it hit a million with 15 days left, didn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. something like that. So, and look, I mean, they are screening everything now. So, as soon as you make a bid on it, yeah, Lloyd's are ringing you straight away. You've got to prove that you can buy this car. And look, I can say this now, there are some big names um, out there who are wanting this car, haven't even bid yet. So, yeah, some iconic Australian celebrities, right? And yeah, people, correct. Well known yep. people. Yeah, yep, some well known people, well known collectors. Yes, yeah, so this is going to get damn interesting to see what this goes for. But Getting to the point, this has absolutely shoved the market through the roof. And in getting to that, um, I guess if you look at the last six months, when we had a VS GDSR sold at Burns and Co. only six months ago for three hundred thirty-five thousand, and in that same auction was a Spitfire GDSR that sold, um, you know, Gen F two GDSR, um, yeah, sold for one hundred seventeen thousand. So if you kind of have a look now, I think the um, 
what's that been about a sixty yeah. percent rise just in GDSRs alone sedans in the past six months. So well, even can, the W ones now. I mean, yeah, W ones have gone through. Some yeah. are being listed for 500000 just based on that Malou sale alone. Oh, exactly. So, and um, one thing I hate there is how everyone you know I'm seeing. Um, yeah, just GDSR Malou's getting listed for three hundred fifty thousand plus because everyone everyone's saying the next best, you know, it's going to be the next best thing that you can get to it. But um, yeah, let's keep our head out of the clouds with these kind of prices because you actually have to go down to numbers, you know. So anything with these kind of muscle cars, it is supply and demand. Yeah, so I mean, that's why the W ones are what they are. You know, yeah, ex- exactly right. Two hundred forty two seventy five in in Australia. So yep. um, yeah, so if you look, you look at those kind of numbers there, but um, yeah, but if you kind of have a look compared to them, I mean, yeah. 1,270 GDSR sedans um, made there, so yeah, it's a massive, massive difference there, but um, going to be damn interesting to see what this W1 Malou pulls, and um, interesting thing to watch is there is a W1, um, I think it's Son of a Gun W1 in the same auction. I think that's already sitting at about 315,000, so be um, look, and that and that's what's going to set the tone of the official market out there as to actually what uh, changes hands, because you can ask what you want, you know, so we can go list your... Um, your W1 now for 750 grand if you yeah. wanted to. Will you get it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Will you get it? So, and that doesn't mean for, I guess, the listeners out there, if you've just got a stock HSV clubby, oh. you know, 2017, 2018 model. Oh, exactly. It's not going to be worth 150 grand. And that is my absolute pet hate. I mean, I get DMs all the time on Instagram and Facebook and things, phone calls, everything. What's this worth? What's that worth? Everything like that. You know, I do know the market. I do know what changes hands in the background, but I can tell you now, your VY clubby with 238,000 Ks on the clock and everything like that that's been knocked around and everything, you're not sitting on a retirement fund. So just really think about that there. Just keep in mind what you pay for these cars because, yeah, that, that's the thing, supply and demand. So yeah, it's it is, numbers. Like you yeah. said, I mean, the W1, W427s, all those cars that, yeah, exactly. that are low in numbers. Yep. So meaning if, look, under three to 400 produced of any model. Oh, correct. You're going to have- you know, a small percentage of them written off and crashed because someone's going to, a people, you know, young kids going to get into them early and, and wrap it around a tree. That's that's a few of them gone. <laughs> oh, exactly, yeah. You're going to have some go overseas to the Arab Emirates and, and possibly to New Zealand. Yep. And then you're going to have some parked and stored that are in mint condition and the rest are going to be driven. So if you've got mint ones and low Ks, they're going to be the ones that are that are demanded. And uh, I think yeah, cause it's, it's the main thing. You can't get parts now. You know, at so all. yeah, exactly. So, um, and, and that was one of my biggest fears. I mean, I had a um, W427. You get to the point of going, well, you buy that car, you love it, you enjoy it, you want to drive it. But then I remember one time just I, I took it for a um, drive down to Dramana and in my head the whole time I'm going, can't get air filters for this, can't get the carbon rear wing, you know, Everything can't get rear bars. Everything custom, yeah. You know, if I, get, if I get tapped up the ass, you know, it doesn't matter what I do, ring the insurance company, you know, I can't replace anything. So that's the thing with these ultra rare cars, you get to the point of going, you know, we're talking about having collections before, you know, I had a factory not too far from, um, from Andrews here and- have them sitting there and everything. You're literally getting down there. You know, if it is an effort, you're taking the cover off. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're disconnecting your battery charges, take it for a run around the block, wash the car again, put the cover back on, do the next one. So and that's the um, thing that it's that's the thing I learned. And when I come back in the off seasons from the NBA for a, a month or two, I take a car out to drive. Yeah. Something would go wrong with it because yeah, it's been it, sitting sitting for so long. I mean, I get them. I get the wheels turned by by a friend of mine, and and you would come sometimes and take them for a spin, but it's not the same, right? Yeah, so then you go exactly. on a long cruise to to maybe the peninsula, or you go to Geelong. Mm. Go for a cruise, and then you're like, you know, the oil light shows up. Um, you know, some, yeah, something, something breaks. Yeah, um, exactly. You, you know, like the GTHO phase two that I have, the 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 carburet, the carby's like rooted. So my old man's just taking that 
back to his house. That's a cl- I to remember stalling that car and I was holding up. Yeah, school had just finished, you know, around the corner from the house where I lived and the car stalled and just trying to get it to hit warm, <laughs> get up the temp, getting two and everything like that, trying to move this GDHL and everything. Oh, Even to get it in gear, yeah, you have to wait. Oh, you have yeah, to wait. You wait for it to get up the temp. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, that's, that's a, you know, collections are fun to have, but they're also, especially when you have kids and family time, you start to lose that amount of time to go down there. And, you know, with school and sport and all that, and then that's when people start selling them off a little bit, which we've kind of been through. Yeah, exactly. Right now in our life, but it obviously helps to have people helping you do it. But on that flip side is you got to find people that you can trust and people that know what they're doing. So Exactly right. But, I mean, with the market, like for me, I've been following this closely and we have these conversations via text. I thought with COVID starting, even before COVID, I thought the muscle car market, there was a massive bubble. Like you have people drawing finance on their house oh, exactly. to buy a car and you're like, mate, you've got you got insurance costs, you've got storage costs of the car, you've got maintenance, you've got all that. You might not get that money back, right? But you're borrowing yeah, well, it on your house. So it's- oh, exactly. Well, it's funny you actually mentioned COVID. So, amount of messages I got from running this HSV group, hey, Justin, I've just drawn 20 grand, 20 grand from my super because, you know, they're doing another 10 grand on both sides. Plus, I've got about 15 grand saved. What cars are around for about 35 grand? What, what can you find? Do you know of any? And this is one of the biggest things that pushed it. I mean, I'll be honest, I was fucking absolutely bored shitless being locked up during COVID. And I think during that time, I bought three cars. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I get it. I understand it. You know what I mean? The, but let's be honest, drawing on your super to do all this kind of stuff, I mean, it's look, I mean, probably putting that money into a HSV now is probably not a bad thing. You know, I had a few, few guys bought some low-key club sports and things like that for a good price. And they're probably double now, you know, like, but- um, but yeah, some of these guys who are getting it and modifying their cars, I think that's a bit silly. But I mean, I think getting back to that point, that was a whole big driver of the market. That coincided with that Burns and Co auction with um, the GDSR sedan pulling, you know, three hundred thirty-five grand. Everything, um, I think, pushed it right along. So, and then now this big spike. Now, oh, it's just crazy. But it is a funny point you're saying that. How can people get these money? If people are out there asking 300 grand plus for just GDSR Malus and, you know, 200 grand plus for the sedans and, you know, seeing Gen F GDSs, 120 to 150 grand, all these prices now that you can't go to your local finance company and get finance on these cars. You know, you've got to draw off um, mortgages and everything. And, th- and that's where this kind of bubble happens. And we saw the same thing, you know, that um, going back to the HRT 427, that sold 920 grand. GFC hits, that car fell right back down. I think that only- Yeah, we, that like, we went to the auction. We went actually, to the auction. Actually bid on it. Yeah, yep. I, think it, I think I was the final bidder. I think it was two, were we at 250, 260? Yeah, I think it was 260 grand. It was the final bid and it got yeah. passed in. Then they were negotiating with me. They wanted over 300 and I passed and then ended up finding someone oh. for 300. But um, That was one of my first points of um, when we're getting to the point of Andrew Bogart tucks. That was one of the first times I really saw that because, yeah, we were both sitting there. I had my name down on the sheet. I was getting the phone calls for it. Um, seeing in newspapers the next day, um, yeah, multi-million dollar basketball player buys million dollar muscle car, all this kind of stuff, and then bang, price doubles as soon as the phone call. Then it was you. It was insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was interesting, and it was the car couldn't even be registered. Yeah, so it was, exactly. it was mainly a, coll- a collection piece, a rare car with a big motor in it. But yeah, the auction company obviously leaked. No doubt that they leaked it to the media and got some free publicity out of it. But I yeah. guess does a, I mean does a bubble burst? I mean, look, I. I I have grave concerns for people that everyday people that probably are towing the line with borrowing on the house. Interest rates go up in four or five years. I don't think they will because the way the the economy is from COVID. But there's always that concern. A government flips flips that switch. 
the markets crash, then then you know we might see the flip side of this. But the way it's going, you just don't see an end. You can't see an end to it right oh, now. Well, I mean, I think one of the main differences now to after the GFC is that um, yeah. We're not seeing any more HSVs and FPVs and things produced. So I think think that that is one main factor behind. If you want to get these cars, um, that especially the rare number um, build cars, you know, like your W four twenty sevens and things, you know, one hundred thirty seven of them made, things like that. You tuck those things away. It's good investment, you know. So, but um, yeah, the whole bubble behind it. I think club sports, everything like that, it can't really sustain at those kind of prices, especially the number, you know, amount amount produced of these cars. But the scary thing is it. Your typical kind of mums and dads out there are drawing, you know, I'm hearing on super funds and mortgages and everything like that. You're seeing these stupid prices of these cars out there and then they think, hey, great, you know, they, they negotiate and then suddenly you get a, you know, GDSR Malou for 250 grand and they think, hey, well, it's 100 grand cheaper than what others are asking. That That's actually scary. That's, that's a risk, you know, yeah, because yeah, it could exactly. fall, could yeah. fall out, especially with the high numbered cars, yeah. you know, that are just being inflated because of the W1 Malou and, and yeah, the, exactly. the W1. So, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't, I mean, I'm in a position where I need to borrow, but I'd, I'd just be very careful with people that are, are putting it on your, you know, you got a wife and two kids and you're putting a big number on your mortgage for a car. Yeah, exactly. You just got to be very, very careful of it unless you unless you really are an expert in the field and you're really comfortable with having that over your head, it, it, the, the pin can drop. And, yeah, exactly. And we've, we've bought cars like that back in the day, you know. Oh, yeah. We've bought cars where people have been like, holy shit, I need, a, I need cash for this car as long as it's not a tire kicker and then you'd contact me, I'd have cash ready and we'd, we'd, get, a, we'd get a cheaper car oh, exactly. because of it. Yeah, and that's and that's how I actually got to the point of buying those three cars through that COVID period. I mean, that uh, I was just getting messages and things because people were getting scared. You know, they just lost their job, gone on JobKeeper, not knowing what's happening and everything. Those early days, man, you could get some damn cheap cars when when COVID first hit. And you know, fortune being in the position, get these messages, hey, you want this car? And negotiate pretty hard. That's how. Um, yeah, that's how I got to that point. I just quickly snapped up three. So. Yeah, the, the, look, the other thing we've, we've noticed is is the market being manipulated? We look at, um, I mean, Duddens is probably the prime example. They seem to be, you know, they never really were involved in Australian muscle cars historically. Um, yeah. They never really touched them unless they got them on a trade-in. They did dealing in Euro luxury and high-end Euro sports cars for the most part. Now we're starting to see, we both noticed it, that they'd, they'd buy, you know, the lower number HSVs and FPVs yep. and they'd, they'd buy five, six, seven of them and try to pull them up, and then they'd, they'd buy it for 60 and list it for 150. And, right. and they just try to manipulate the market by, by owning a big quota of those models. Then they slowly release them over a year or 18 months, one by one, and they inflate the market. Oh, exactly, man. And it's not a hard thing to do. I mean, you know, I guess if you look at W427s, if you kind of know three, four guys with W427s, nothing stopping you. You can, you know, we can go chuck yours up. You know, 350 grand. Other mate Steve then goes, chucks his up for 325 and everything like that. Donald does his, like you kind of just flow on like that. Before you know it, you can set a market damn fast to say, hey, W427 is now worth over 300 grand, yeah. you know? So, not a hard thing to do at all. And especially if you're buying those cars up and you, um, you know, store them, put them away, and then just slowly start leaking onto the market. You know, you can get the things like that. You do a trade-in, you know, especially if you're someone like that, you can do a trade-in on a Porsche or something like that, at least that thing is sold. You know, it's damn easy to do and we've always got to try and keep that in mind so stress importance get involved in things like you know like our hsv and hdt enthusiast group ask a question you know what are changing hands what are rare all those kind of things before you dive in and put a lot of money into a car because you can be buying on these emotions and thinking you're getting a good deal when it could just be an inflated market at the time yeah i haven't seen that many move from duttons there seems to be a lot of relistings of the same cars they say so i've noticed they've also said that they'll list something 100 percent more than they bought it for and then then it'll have a sold sticker on it yeah and then a month later it's relisted with duttons so 
yeah it's definitely interesting but that's that's a part of the business and that oh, that's, exactly you know with with collect, collector cars and anything else i think there's there's sharks there's people that are that aren't passionate about it like like you and i are that are trying to just make a quick buck the next day and i think that that can kind of put a dark cloud on on the industry and oh, exactly. piss a lot of people off yeah I mean, and that's the thing that you've got to watch the market. I mean, when um, you know, when Andrew was looking at getting the Boss Four Two Nine, you know, I wasn't an expert of that, but um, knew he wanted one, and we're watching mecha auctions and things like that nonstop, seeing what's actually happening in the market, and speak to experts out there and buyers and things because, yeah, there's a forum for everything online, so yeah. you can you can. I mean, I think in all walks of life, my argument is whether it's basketball, whether it's whatever you want to do, there's a video for it on the internet that you can learn from. Definitely learn how to cook, learn how to tune your own car, learn how to whatever you want to do. Uh, do an oil change. You can you can. There's really no excuse these days. So the more time you spend online, reading and researching, you won't you know you won't kind of get stooge. But there there is there's opportunists out there, man. And we'll get we'll get into that with some advice later. But as far as there's people that clock back kilometers on cars. There's people that, you know, swap motors. I mean, the GTO, GTO Phase 3s, there's more now than that, that were built back in yeah. the day. I don't know how many were built back in the day. Let's say it was 300. There's bloody 600 of them now, you know, oh, because exactly. people are forging tags. Yeah. A lot of these cars, the people that might just be, you know, not too kind of expert bound with with cars is is the, the tags, you know, especially with the four, old four GTs, the tags are worth more than the car. You lose the tag. The, oh, the original yeah. tag that says that motor belongs to that car, the metal tag, you're gone. I mean, a lot mm -hmm. of people take those off and put them in a safe and don't really care about the car as much because essentially, if you get that car stolen, you've got the tag still, you can you can somewhat reproduce that car. Oh, but yeah, exactly right. And, and that's thing, I mean, we've seen cars get sent overseas and everything like that. I mean, people legitimately remove tags for those reasons in case cars go, do go missing, which, um, you know. No, it does happen, but no, you are you're absolutely spot on with that. So, but um, yeah, but that's the thing that yeah, if you're not if you're not good with forums either, car clubs is another big thing, especially the you know especially the HSV clubs, FPV clubs, all those kind of things. Um, yeah, so if you're not confident to jump online, join these clubs, ask questions, float it past people. There's a high chance as well they probably know the car. So yeah, and you can go to those car meets, take an esky food, yeah. you know, have a few beers in there, a few drinks, take the kids, the wife. They're usually pretty fun. Um, I've been to a few of them, and you know you can walk around and see different people's cars and have that chat about hey what's going on you know would you sell your car would you buy my car and yep. then usually have some sort of music there it's kind of a cool fun day of, of doing something a little bit different yeah definitely but um interesting car we know we have touched on a few times the w427 so i haven't seen any on car sales and things for ages but there is one uh actually one of boomers it's um currently at uh, the lloyd's auction so interesting thing with that car, it's uh, it's Panorama Silver. So out of the 137 um, actual production line, W427s, only two were made. One's not registered. One can't be registered. Two, I heard. Right? Uh, so that was that was one you were going to buy at one stage, yeah, actually. Yeah, the yeah. actual. So the actual show car, um, it's pretty much got GDS running gear in it with um, with the LS7, the 427 sitting in it. So that one's to the side. I don't count that in the in the actual 137. Okay. So out of the two that were produced is number 427, the Boomer owned at one stage, and number 197 that's currently up for sale. So, you know, that that's the thing with that car. I mean, I kind of look at it and go, I'd personally probably rather have that car over a W1. I'm just being honest, just because I know you don't get caught up in the colors, but I think that being Panorama Silver, so if you guys out there that don't understand, so the Panorama Silver is the actual original Walkinshaw color. So another interesting thing with this car, it's actually signed on the boot um, by Tom Walkinshaw. So the W427 was Tom's kind of last baby car. So you probably call that, that's his iconic car behind it. Whereas for Ryan Walkinshaw, his son, um, who now owns HSV, so the W1 is kind of his baby. So... You kind of look at it being iconic for those guys. 
Um, and that's why that that car is an incredible car. So, and, and I'm shocked it's only sitting at 195,000 when you look at the W1, um, the son of the gun one, sitting at 315. I personally, you know, being the lower build numbers and being only two producing that color, that's probably something I'd personally rather own over that son of a gun W1. And yeah, just from future perspective, I mean, that's a big banger motor. You know, it it's, is. Yeah. it's the GDHO phase three of its time, essentially. You know, there's yeah, the- well, that's probably how you really look at it. I mean, the W1 probably be the um, the XY and the um, and yeah, the XY GDHO and the W427 is like an XW GDHO. So you kind of look at it in in that light of it. Two insane banger cars um, and absolutely incredible to drive. Yeah, they are fun. I've, I own one, um, pretty low kilometres. Bought it from a, a lady here in, in yeah, Melbourne. You remember that? Interesting, that? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a lady, a lady, lady owner. So yeah. That was pretty cool. She was thrashing that about. Um, got that that pretty early on in the journey, but they're definitely a fun car to drive. Just the amount of torque in them and they're just- Yeah. They're not obnoxiously loud. They're just a natural, naturally aspirated sound from from that motor is is fantastic to hear. Yeah, it is a cool thing. They do have a little little cam shake and things like that, sitting at lights and everything. Um, yeah, so I owned a owned a black one. Um, yeah, absolutely love that car. So, but um, yeah, the red interiors. The red interiors uh, do you know some like it, some don't. Especially, oh, it's the- cool because it's a it's a it's a low numbered car, so it wouldn't be an interior I pick. Yeah, but the fact that it's a low numbered car, it's kind of a special edition Big Bang motor. It came with a unique, you know, red red interior. Um, but yeah, it looks it looks all right. Yeah, exactly. And and look, that was an interesting car for the time. They did plan to make four hundred and twenty seven of them, but then the GFC hit uh, didn't eventuate that way. But um, yeah, that was an insane car when it came out at the time. If you kind of look at the big iconic HSVs to the point, you had the VT two GDS when that first came out. So that was a Callaway three hundred kilowatt car. That was an insane car. That's you know you jump from two twenty kilowatts in the VT GDS. It had um, you know the old Aussie motor into that. And then we didn't see a big jump until the uh, W427 came out. So it was 375 kilowatts, you know, seven liter, insane, insane car. And then to the uh, W1 um, that we were just talking about before. So, yeah. Just need fuel supplies for the, both those cars, especially the W427. You <laughs> oh, yeah, the, they do drink. Fill that thing do. up. I, get, I think I get 300 kilometers out of a tank if I'm lucky. Yeah. What's the next car that you think will will peak that no one's really talking about? I mean, we, I, we have written down here, the FPV GTF, which will lead us onto a different conversation down the track. That's still relatively low when you compare it to HSVs, but what's I mean, what for you would be a car that people could kind of put a magnifying glass on now and expect to, you know, go up a little bit in value that not much people are talking about? Uh, look, I mean, I guess touching on what I was saying uh, early on about um, iconic uh, Aussie cars is that FPV aspect typhoon is a big one there. I mean, I think that you can still pick them up for that 30 to 50 grand, Quite low Ks, um, and only three hundred three hundred of them made. So I kind of look at that to the point going, okay. So as a bang for buck car to get into, and we, you know, I guess we start talking about supply and demand before. So only three hundred of them. I think that you've really got to um, narrow cars down to like that. And actually, at that Lloyd's auction, there's currently a um, VT. 10th anniversary Senator. So only 10 of those made. And the interesting thing with that car is it's actually got the blueprint engine in it. So the blueprint um, engine was actually built by HRT. So in the run of the GDSR, so there was a handful made. Um, actually, you have you have one. Interesting car. So it was um, a yeah, damn expensive option at the time to, I think it was like 10 grand or something if you bought a GDSR and you chose to blueprint it. For an extra what? 
10 kilowatts, was it? Yeah, they say 20. between it. Um, yeah, <laughs> so you had 215 standard, and they say 225 kilowatts. Some say 230 kilowatt, but I think at the think at the time then it was around that 225 mark. Did notice a little bit, and probably the, if you um, did put that car into doing a third third gear pull, you did feel the extra torque. Um, no, but it's kind of something that um, you're driving back to back, and probably after two weeks of owning one, you probably wouldn't even notice it. But um, yeah, but t- touching back on to that car at auction, I think it's sitting at 37 grand at the moment, but only 10 of them made, all in Jaffa. It was the most expensive HSV at the time from back in those days there. So I think they were like 120 grand or something. But um, yeah, damn good car, good bang for buck, 10 made, one off color, blueprinted motor. That's a good pickup at the moment and it's a good one to watch there. But um, yeah, getting back onto the kind of crystal ball for the things moving, yeah, HSV scene is ultimately cook right now. Like, Man, let, yeah. let's, let's be honest. There's not much there. Uh, you do life for life comparison. You've probably got no choice to start looking at FPV market. So you're probably yep. right. GTF can pick up a few of those, but I think we saw the other day. I think someone listed one for like 190 or something. Oh, they've like gone through the roof. Yeah, there was a bloke that listed one for, I think it was 195. I threw a low ball at him. Um, going to be honest, uh, I like the car. It was clean. It was low kilometers. And he just basically, yeah, he was respectfully just said, look, man, I'm just getting some crazy offers. So yeah, respectfully declined. But yeah, they, they've gone only about probably. It's all predicated by that W1 Malu, to be honest. Like, oh, I know. Before that auction, a month before, you could have got an FPV in the low hundreds that had yep. a couple of thousand kilometers on it. Now that now they now they're pushing high high one hundreds, two hundreds, but they are the last Ford yeah, high muscle exa- high exactly, power yeah. muscle car built. So they will, I think, they will still have a chance to go up a little bit more. But I guess it'll easier to why why have the HSVs climbed so much compared to the FPV? I mean, yeah, it's it has been interesting to. Interesting to look at that. I mean, from owning both over the time, I must say that the hard thing with FPV, you can crunch some good deals on them, but man, trying to sell one, yeah, like when I had my old FPV Typhoon, you know, I got that damn cheaper at the time, I think 34 grand when the GFC hit, it's only a couple of years old. But yeah, look, to be honest, that was probably one of the one of the hardest cars to sell. And um, there's actually a guy, Jesse Batson, uh, that's in our group, buys and sells a hell of a lot of cars. And even he said the same thing. So he's doubled into the FPV market as well. So shout out to you, Jesse. You know you're probably listening, but yeah, even he'll tell you the same thing. Just damn hard to but sell. Why? I so, mean, why? why? It's, it's, yeah, when, it's when, you, when you compare it, you know, apples for apples, oranges for oranges. They, they've still got some rare numbered cars that had had some good tech in them. Had some, yeah, look, and to be honest, I mean, absolutely insane cars. I mean, if you if I kind of look back, you know, from you know, if you know. Uh, BF, um, BF FPV compared to like a VZ HSV, I think the BF is just a nicer car to drive. And I think one of the best for, you know, best bang for buck cars over the time have, have been like FGX R6 turbos, um, F6s, things like that. Just absolutely insane cars. I just think that overall build quality, incredible. But yeah, it's, it's just one of those weird things that, um, I think that. Kind of having a look at it, I think the FPV market did go nuts before the GFC hit, and I reckon a lot of people got stuck with them. I remember when the um, the Cobra came out. Yep, yep. You know, so, geez. Couldn't move them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sticker back, you know, it was a, pretty much a sticker pack kind of car, but- Man, we saw those things hitting 150, 160 grand, everything, low Ks. You know, that whole demand and run was there. You know, they, they were pumping out that many just with different type of GT stripes, yeah, like, yeah. anything like that. They could pretty much get and paint wheels a different color. Away you go, you got another car. Yeah, I think we kind of saw that move. And, and I'm just wondering if that whole enthusiast kind of group then just kind of got burnt. From back then, just yeah, from maybe. losing money because um, we didn't really see the HSV shift like that. Because so. you look at the 60s and 70s and the, the Ford muscle car market owns that that era. Oh, as yeah, far as prices still to this day, you yeah. know, and then it's kind of gone 
you know, you go to the 80s and 90s and, and it's more HSVs and HDTs or Holden's HDTs then HSVs and, and then in the 90s to now is, is basically HSVs are, are ruling the market as far yeah. as clickability. It's just it's just kind of crazy. It's, it seems like, you know, Ford, Ford guys are religious about, about, about Fords, but it seems like the HSV guys are a whole other level. Yeah, well, I think I mean that, um, and and let's be honest. Back then, uh, until the um, you know until the supercharged Fords really started coming out, I, I think that, um, and let's be honest, HSV was leaving Ford for dead. You know, from what they were pumping out, yeah, was until the um, until they did you know do the um, the boosted motors, the Coyote motors, and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I think that um, back then, if we kind of had a look at Full Ford enthusiasts and Holden enthusiasts, a lot of four guys jumping ship, bang for buck for what you're getting out of HSVs, resales better with HSVs and everything like that. And you know, I think we saw that whole kind of shift going across to um to HSVs. And I just think that now that um yeah, the Ford market is just that far behind that um yeah, anything low numbers, rare, you know, low Ks, all those kind of things, make sure books, compendium, all that kind of stuff. If you can snap up a decent, you know, low build number, nice FPV. Yeah. I mean, we, ch- we chat about books all the time and have a laugh. I mean, my whole thing with books is, are you speaking specifically towards the books that came with the car or logbooks? Look, I think that um, there's no doubt about logbooks, you know, history behind the car. You want to know damn well that it's got everything behind because, you know, back in the VS days, man, man I'll be honest, me and all my, all my mates are doing it so easy. You can turn the case off in a, you know, VN to VS, you know, just within a few seconds, you know what I mean? Pull the plug, run underneath the dash, drive around, plug it back in, away you go. Yep. All that was happening, so you know it is one of those hard things with books. You know, you've got to really look behind, you know, like you know, past that wear and tear gear knobs, steering wheels, seat bolsters, all those kind of things. You've got to get into it, but um, there's no doubt about it. If you are trying to buy and pay top dollar for a car, you got to have books. Compendiums, one thing we've always spoken about. Like I get the compendium and the and the kind of the original books that came with the car. My thing was I sold the VP GTS not long ago, and yeah, I had that on the market for about a year and just had my price, and I wasn't going to budge too much. And yeah. um, had a few people were like, "Oh, do you have log books with it?" And I'm like, "Mate, no, I don't have log." books because I and I bought it from didn't have log books and I've barely driven but that it. car came with a watermelon that was yeah. a watermelon <laughs> it did actually yeah, fruit shop owner car fruit shop owner <laughs> yeah but like people were grilling me about log books and I'm like listen man if you really want me to, I can forge you a fucking logbook because that's what I can tell you a lot of people are doing that like you can, oh, I, I can get a log book and write 1993 it drove this many yeah. So that's what always got me about logbooks with people that were so adamant on it. Yeah, it's you like, have their eye for detail with these kind of cars. Because yeah, it's it, all inspection based. I say, come, yeah. mate, come and inspect the car. I haven't clocked the kilometers. The cars, yeah. the cars in good nick. And and look, and let's be honest, man. These cars back in the fucking day. I tell you now, VS GDS centers and things like a lot of them are real estate agents, companies, everything didn't like that. Care. Yeah, yeah. Even my old man was like that. I mean, you know, you jump from Audis and BMWs and things into HSV. It was a cool thing. I mean, at the time, then I remember that. You're going back to, let's have a look when the VXGDS came out. Yeah, the M5 at the time, you compared to VXGDS, 300 kilowatts, 100 grand cheaper, insane bang for buck car. You know, that's what it's heading down. You know, my old man's an engineer. That was all happening. You're getting these cars, you're driving them, you know, and I think now these collectors wanted these cars that compendiums, you know, GDSRs come with jackets and things. I was saying, fucking GDSR jackets gone for 10 grand plus. I mean, you try and <laughs> get all this kind of stuff together. It's just outrageous the prices of people asking for. And, and I've been caught out loud before. I remember- I bought, um, I think it was a VS Senator, it might have been, buy that, the books. And then a few weeks later, you're getting a phone call going, hey, I've found the, I've found the compendium. I'm like, yeah, cool. Can you post that to me? And then you get told, yeah, well, you can have a one, two and a half grand for the compendium. It's kind of like, come on, man. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah 
you get caught up with all this kind of stuff and and like you know like Bogut was saying there you can remanufacture a lot of this kind of thing you just got to be so careful so don't get caught up too much I think, the, the I think the it's important to have the history but make sure you go right over that car yeah the in-person inspection to me is a hundred times more important than yeah. seeing a book that's scanned to you that says oh it's been you know these are the kilometers oh exactly and I've seen my own personal cars that I've sold. You know, they pop up later on, 50, 60,000 Ks clocked off them and everything like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess that leads us to the advice for, for the listener. Like if you're if you're new to the market and you're listening to this and you're you're looking for something or if you're um, a guy that doesn't really know too much about cars, you know what you like. But I guess what do you, what do you look for when you're inspecting a car? Um, if you're thinking it's clocked back, if you're thinking something's going on? Mm-hmm. Oh, look, main, main things I have a look for is, yeah, wear and tear on steering wheels, steering wheel twisting and things compared to kilometers. Gear knobs, so is it the original gear knob? Is it a remanufactured one that's gone out there? Seat bolsters, everything like that. Wear on carpets. Another thing, like we are saying before, VN to VSs, you've got to pretty much have a look um, where you've got your steering wheel column. You've got your clips underneath there that you, um, you unhook with your key. So have a look there. Are those all notched around there? The cable, does the cable just fall out? Easy. And then um, anything or else, screws or odometers and things like that, have a look. Are they all scratched to buggery and everything like that? Another thing, post up, jump on, you know, jump on forums and we're like, post up, hey, considering buying this car, does anyone know about this car? You know, I've seen that happen just last week, seen a car pop up on car sales. Um, actually, know the guy selling the car, but it was a VS uh, Senator, popped up 118,000 Ks on the, on the car. That got shared in our group. Someone said straight away, I used to own that car, had 190,000 Ks on it. So, <laughs> actually, the poor guy selling the car didn't even know about it himself. He's been caught out, had another mate got caught out the same. Because that's the thing that um, there's places like Gary West and things doing fantastic jobs on these steering wheels and things look great. Put all these things on there. You can get leather painted, retrimmed bits and pieces, wheels refurbed, all that kind of stuff. It is getting harder with new old stock bits and pieces around there. But um, yeah, just keep in mind it is it isn't hard to make these cars look fantastic and clock back Ks and think, hey, you know, bang, this car's. Selling with no books, everything like that, hundred thousand less Ks on it, but then you can get caught out damn fast. But thing is with the scene, very tight-knit, high chance with things, especially rare build number cars. Yeah, jump in these groups and things like that, clubs, high chance someone will know the car. Yeah, I think the, the, the one for me that I'd always look at was a seat bolster just because, yeah. you know, that, that would be people getting in and out of the car, rubbing on that that outer kind of quarter of the of the seat. Yeah. You know, if someone's saying it's a 30, 40, 50,000 kilometer car and you're like, mate, the, the seat looks like it's it's from my yeah. grandpa's era that's, oh, exactly. that he's been sitting in for 60 years, like it's it's quite obvious, right? So, yeah. that's the first one. But like you said, people can replace that seat if they're smart. They can fix it up a little bit, but just try to see the car, know how it drives, you know, get a feel for all of that. But I mean, the GTs back in the day were notorious for it. You know, there's there's been people that have gone to court. Um, as we know, yeah, for, for, remember for, that for, case. For, you know, yeah. There was a case where someone bought a um a GT with I think it had I think it was a repro body. It was it was a cut and shut. I think half yeah. and half. They got yeah. a front end from somewhere and a rear end, and then reproed some tags, put it on. The guy that bought it then sold it to someone else, and he got sued. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that guy that the guy the the owner now that had it today that didn't know it was it was forged. He had to then go back and find the previous owners who he bought, and they were notorious for doing that. They do one or two a year, and, yeah. and then end up going back to court and suing those people who basically had no money. But that that poor owner that bought it almost got sued by the the person he sold it to. So, you know, it's it's just a, a dark cloud over over the the, the market and, and muscle car industry. You just you just got to be really careful, and it's almost going to become a point in time where I think fresh 
cars that come on that no one knows about are going to have huge question marks on them. Oh, exactly. And, and getting back to the point, if you are one of those people who are you know, drawing money on your mortgage or your super or something like that, or you know, you saved up and seen it plenty of times, I mean, that um, I've had um, wives and things um, calling me and saying, hey, I'm going to buy this for, you know, my husband's always wanted one of these, buying it as a gift and things like that. Um, actually, I think your VP GDS went similar path. Yep, it did. WA. Like that. Yep. yep. Went for a gift. These things happen. You want to make sure you're getting an honest, honest car with knowing history and all that kind of stuff behind it. And I can't stress the importance of that, that if you do get to that point, you are you are putting everything on the line for this car. Just make sure that you are getting a car with full history and everything like that behind it and you've had a lot of eyes over it and not just a silly RACV check. You know, I'm telling you now, I've seen, seen these RACV checks and things coming that they don't know muscle cars. They don't know the main things they're going to be looking for. The, a battery test and things isn't going to tell you that it's a damn good car, you know, so- just make sure you are getting experts inspecting these cars. And the way to do that for everyone listening is if you're if you're living in Victoria and and you can't you can't get to Queensland physically because mm. you're working or whatever is is join those forums. Usually you post a, a an announcement about hey I'm looking at buying a car in Queensland. Anyone in the group can come and inspect it, and you usually flick them a couple of hundred dollars. Someone yeah. in the group they'll drive out and they'll, they'll be aficionados in that group that'll like break it down to a T and that's kind of what yeah. we've, we've done that before with cars, oh, exactly. cars out in Perth and whatnot. Yeah. And if you go doing that, put a post up like that or just message uh, admins in the group and just see if they know anyone. So there's yeah. always someone willing to help. You just give them a couple, you know, yeah, exactly. most times it's cheaper than, than an RACV inspection anyway. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. So yeah. yeah. I guess, have you, give us an example of a lemon that you've bought in your history um, or something that you've bought that you didn't, you know, that you, I mean, for me, I'll give you one. We, my father and I went to the Meekum auctions out in, um, it was in near Chicago about, I think it was Evansville. A I was small just little Torino. Town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we bought, we bought two Chevy Ballets in white and a, and a Ford Grand Torino, a yellow convertible, nice car, right? And we, we went under it. So the way Meekum works for those that haven't been. They've just got a shitload of cars in the indoor arena and the outdoor arena. You just walk around on your Thursday, Friday, and the auctions start on Saturday. So you can you can inspect all the cars. You obviously can't put them on a hoist. You can't get too far under them. You can only get as under as you know. Some guys brought little trolleys to slide under the cars, so you can only see so much. We inspected it. Everything looked good. It was a clean car. I think we got it for thirty or forty k. It wasn't too expensive, and we imported it to to Australia. So my dad's gone through it, just cleaning it up a little bit. And I think he, he turns on the turns on the car and it was a hot summer's day, turns on the air conditioner and something smacks him in the face out of the out of the vents. And he's like, what the hell's going on? So anyway, the whole firewall was completely rusted. Half of it was missing. It was it was just flaky. It was you know, basically yeah. basically it was like felt like a carpet type asbestos material. And the firewall's fucked. We had to we had to basically ship the car and put a whole new mm-hmm. new firewall in. And that's that's just one loss that you take because you can't you know, we probably got a little bit emotional about a Grand Torino because it was a beautiful car, and but we couldn't couldn't really inspect it. And we went back to to Meekum, and they walk away with no liability, and they wash their hands of it and say, "Hey, look at the the you know the paperwork that you signed when you when you bought the car," and they kind of walk away from it, which is a shame. But you think they'd have a at least those big auction houses, Barrett Jackson and Meekum, would somewhat inspect the cars coming in, but they don't. You yeah. know, so you, it's at it's at risk. Even at those some of those big auction houses, you cringe at seeing some of these um, out of state buyers bidding via phone that haven't inspected or, or bidding via the internet that haven't inspected because mm. there are times when you when you get a rude awakening and and it's rare at times the other one is my dad my dad got scammed um buying a car out in the states so he he was buying a lot of cars sight unseen through mutual friends that would inspect it whatnot and there was one a cheap i think it was a, a futura or a ford or a sprint or something like that that he found i think it was in las vegas and it was so cheap that he's like oh, i'm not going to inspect it i'll just i need i need the parts out of it anyway mm-hmm. 
I'll just send it over to Australia and he wired the money and the people disappeared. So <laughs> Yeah. But it's, a, it's actually a funny thing with that because one that is one thing that um the bogus old man did teach me over time. So he actually had a thing of just trying to find these cheap cars and getting back to these kind of HSVs and things in the moment that I get messages all the time going, hey, found this HSV, it's damn cheap, and you kind of look at it and it looks like it's been left out in the Northern Territory for five years, covered in dirt and everything like that. You kind of think going, yeah, you can get this car cheap, but parts, like I was saying before, you can't find these parts, and that's where um, you know Bogut's old man really taught me that he's getting these things. By the time you get this car, yeah, you can tidy the car up, you can get new old stock parts and bits like that, but the thing is you pay a lot of money for it, and before you know it, you're in deep with this car. Yeah, it can be nice and tidy by the time you put all your man hours and everything into it, but it's still a high K car, you know. So, and like getting to, getting to the point, be smart about it. Just really think, start shopping around, jump online, start having a look at parts, everything like that in these forums, everything like that. Have a look what things are going for, ask questions because before you put everything on the line and buy that car, yeah, you don't want to get stuck with something that's just a little bit, a little bit tidier, but then you're in way too deep on this car and you can't move it because it's just way too many Ks. Any reg- regretful buys for you? Well, that or um, not really. That was probably more of a save one that I had a mate of mine bought a 215 Senator. Um, he, he got the thing, he just kind of did the deal, sight unseen. Car turns up at mine and then just see the thing. I'm like, man, this is a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work. And then, um, yeah, I, I actually had a lot of VS, uh, new old stock parts and things. I started tearing this thing down in the factory and going over it. Phil King, shout out to Phil King, one of my best mates, um, good painter. He went to life on this car as well and just trying to get, um, it was actually a Series 2, so I had the integrated security system, the ISS, and it had a starting issue for it. So started doing all the wiring and getting all that going, and then before you know it, there's probably a good three kilos of speaker wire, so I must have had a big sound system in this car. <laughs> Pulling it all out and went in quite deep on this car in the end, and yeah, it was like it was a good tidy example and yeah just going along and actually looked in the logbooks of this car and actually knew the first owner of the car um through the hsv club so it was a day out um down in sandown when i was like 15 16 years of age he actually took me for a ride around um sandown and actually realized it was the same car there you go it was actually quite interesting so we talk about the circle of it knowing what um but yeah that that car there a lot of man hours into it tied it up pretty well at the time but um yeah that's the thing of buying sight unseen yeah it was kind of just lucky at the time was priced well the market moved so uh, but otherwise yeah it could have been caught out with that car yeah it's emotional as well like you jump online and you see a car from your childhood and a lot of people whether it's real estate cars whatever you're collecting it's an emotional buy a lot of time right so that's where that's where you get caught is like before you click that button online because you like the photos, is maybe do a little bit, a little bit more research. And and if it's if it's only an hour till that auction ends and you haven't mm-hmm. inspected it, yep. um, you probably just give it a miss and, and keep looking. But um, yeah, but really, um, but getting to motions, it, I think that is one of those big things. I mean, I think with any of these kind of cars, you've actually got to buy it because you really like it. I mean, I've seen too many people get caught out; they just buy it because it's a good deal and thinking, hey, hey, might be able to get this car and flip it and everything like that. Just think about it. if the market goes cold and you get stuck with that car and you actually don't really like it. That's what you got to be careful, man. I've always had the rule. I know, Bogut, you've always had the rule. Um, Boomer as well is a big collector. He's always had the rule. If you buy the car, you've got to actually like and love the car. So, and at least that way, if you do get stuck with that car and it is a flip in the background, but you've kind of got that car, might be one or two years. If you still really like it, you enjoy it and things, so be it. You know, so the market will end up, you know, it's, it's just like real estate. It goes up and down, everything like, everything like that, but just make sure you enjoy it and you do have that emotional attachment to that car. 
Yeah, and that's the exact reason I flipped a few cars over the last couple of years, which probably could have made more money holding on to, but it yeah. just, they were just cars that were sitting here um, where I've got my car stored and they just weren't driven enough yeah. and I didn't enjoy driving them. I thought like the VP GTS for me, it's the first GTS obviously from, from HSV, but it just wasn't an enjoyable car. It was auto, yeah, exactly. it was kind of boring to drive and I was like, you know what, like I'd rather have someone get it and enjoy it, um, yeah, exactly. which goes back to, you know, the, the driven, not hidden debate yeah, that people have on oh, forums. Exactly. But I mean- I mean yeah, yeah. I, was, I was just the same. I bought a British Racing Green VX um, VX Senator, had a Harrop Supercharger, Coulson's, Harrop's. I put VX GDSs on it. Everything. Very, very cool car, but it's the same kind of thing. So, I drove it around a few times. I didn't emotionally connect to the car, you know. So, and, um, yeah, one of the admins in, the, um, in our HSV group, Alex, he bought the thing off me because, hey, it's one of his dream cars. So, it's actually going to a good home. I know he'll enjoy it more than me. I could have made more money on the car. Change hands and that's an important thing to having list prices versus actually change hand prices, what we're talking about. And that's the thing. A lot of these cars will change hands amongst these um, these enthusiasts and collectors without even anyone yeah, knowing Yeah, and usually the it. big high-end stuff does, does the same. You know, yeah, there's, exactly. There's numerous reasons why people don't want yeah. prices publicized of, of their oh, collection you look at me and boomer i mean we pretty much um we use lalo transport and pretty much a phone call away because we are sending cars back and forth to each other yeah i'd hate to know how many cars yeah <laughs> non-stop right well, even, an M, even an m3 um that i bought so i bought it off him he bought it back off me it's just one of those things so could have your own transport company eventually <laughs> and that's another thing finding finding transport companies that are yeah that are decent and reliable these days is, is becoming much much harder oh yeah exactly so yeah and, that, and that's the thing that, uh, yeah, you've got to be careful with the likes of um, some of the run-of-the-mill transport companies because um, I actually got caught out once. Um, that's I bought, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, <laughs> my W427 was a time that um, couldn't get anyone. I bought around the Christmas period, actually bought the car off Boomer. remember picking up that Just car. Toowoomba. Yeah, yep. from Toowoomba. Um, remember picking up the car from, I think it was Patrick's or Seaver or something. But I kid you not, I saw it start up in the corner and, yeah, big guy jumping in it. Probably would have been pushing 150, 160 kilos, no word of a lie, seeing him just fall into the seat. And I'm thinking, man, this car had like six, 7,000 Ks on it. Seeing him just fall into it, everything like that, scuffing his feet, getting in the car, revving the absolute shit out of the fucking thing. And I was losing my mind going, man, just paid a lot of money for this ultra rare car and you're seeing things like that happen. So, yeah, just make sure don't skimp on transport. I was impatient at the time. I probably should have just waited, but I wanted it for Christmas. But yeah, definitely just wait because you don't want anything to happen. And had a, another Subaru STI I bought um, that came down from Darwin that got damaged, everything like that. Transport company at the time we didn't want to take liability. Like it had really, really good photos before. Still didn't want to take uh, liability, but the scuff marks underneath the bar, the front bar, and the kink on the door. Car was white, red paint. Red paint matched their actual transport trucks. They coughed up in the end, but it was a long fight to get that. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's just so it's it's real hard. I mean, generally I'd go enclosed for going long long trips. Yeah, unless it's just a a, a beater that you're going to redo. Yeah, but exactly. yeah. If you've got a, a collector car or something that's rare, especially low kilometers, you just yeah, gotta, and you just got to make sure with enclosed as well. Um, so many they, other cars are on there as well. Yeah, exactly. Big. And then do they have the side curtains and things? Because an M3, um, well, the M3 that I sold back to um back to Boomer. Yeah, that um, side curtain was smacking up the side of the um, the guard on the car and rubbed all that through and things. So you've got to be careful, but um, yeah, that's why, yeah, we use Lalo Transport for our runs. Um, highly recommend uh, them and their team. Had no issues with the countless cars that um, yep. have been going, you know, sending back and forward. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, but definitely 
these are all the extra costs you got to really think about when it comes to factoring these cars because before you know you can pay a couple of grand in transport. Yeah, so. exactly right. And that, that goes into the cost of collecting the car. It's not just yeah, insurance and cost. you got to factor all that in that if you find a car, especially from Perth, because a lot of nice cars out in Perth. Yeah, well, that's in yeah, good deals. Know, but 1500 to two grand sometimes in enclosed to, to get it over, over yeah. here from there. So yep. we're in Victoria. We'll finish off on on the eye candy, oof, yeah, rogueness car meet. Break that down for us, man. And break. I mean, give us a, a picture of who we, you know, who eye candy is, and yeah. So eye candy's motorsport. I mean, I've been around for ten plus years now. So um, Troy Williams, uh, yeah, he's the owner of eye candy. Great guy, very very passionate and everything like that when it comes to cars and everything. But I think he's. Um, Whole persona he's created over time. Uh, looked obviously straight up, very very loose unit. He's got his whole snorkel thing, so the snorkel you put on, um, yeah, end of your drink and everything like that, to skull it and everything like that. So he's he's got himself known for just an absolute loose unit. He gets out, you know, thrashes cars around, everything like that. But he's created a massive big cult following. Business there does, um, yeah, vehicle wraps. Used him over the time myself for um, doing some bits and pieces. But um, yeah, great guy and everything. But unfortunately, what happened? So Troy recently moved to the Gold Coast, came down to Melbourne, posted up on his Instagram thing. He's got 140,000 followers or something of just about a car meet. He kind of thought, oh, yeah, you know, might get 50, 100 cars down. Well, I think only 50 turned up to his first meet point, ends up going down to St Kilda. I think probably like a thousand odd people turning up. They ended up, yeah, doing burnouts. Troy left early and everything. But, um, yeah, it just got out of control. And I think um, I, I think that's just one of those hard things. Now. I mean, Troy with his following behind, the, a lot of these guys trying to impress him, posting up videos of burnouts and everything like that. I think he's got to that point now. You know, Troy's engaged, getting older now and everything like that, trying to do the right things, does a lot through his car raffles, raised over six million bucks and things for a lot of charities and things. Tries to do the right thing, but I think um, he's just going to get caught up behind. Police going to see him involved. He posts up a lot of wild stuff on his um, Instagram and everything, and I think they're in instantly going to go, Troy's involved. Let's go get him. You know, let's shut down anything that Troy does, and I think that's a hard thing for him now. So end of the story with it. Got out of control. Car's getting, you know, Cars getting kicked and punched and everything. So I saw a 5 Series BMW and things like that, 5 Series cop car. Uh, getting bottles and things pinged at it and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a bad thing for us enthusiasts in the scene. So Yeah, and that's my point. I think it's it's awful. Like, look, let's be honest, we don't condone it, but every 17, 18-year-old, the first time they get their license, they'll screech their tires at some point. Oh, exactly. To, you know, it, it is what it is and you don't condone it and we're all idiots at one point in our life. But once you get to your 20s and, and you're older, like – just stop doing that shit, you know. I think um, especially at car meets because you've got a lot of enthusiasts and people that baby their cars and don't want to even get a stone chip on them yeah. and, and then these guys get hassled by the police and, and and police are somewhat doing their job because car meet straight away you know when you see it on the news you see you hear car meet most regular people then think oh hoons dickheads oh, burnouts yeah. dangerous yeah. Well, it's not the case most most car you know 99 percent of car meets mm-hmm. is guys doing above what they have to do because they're like i don't want to get stopped by the police i don't want to get hassled i don't want I don't want a bad name on this car meet. The car meet will get cancelled if yeah. it's an annual thing. And and that's these kind of things that go rogue. They have massive snowball effects to the rest of the industry. Oh, exactly. And 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 that's the thing. I mean, and I even felt the same in that VX Senator that I just sold. Um, driving that around, top mount supercharger, massive camshaft, everything like that. You're driving that around, just getting foul looks from people because the thing is, you got this car shaking the lights, very, very noisy, and everything like that. I live in a little bit of an upper class area and just get frowned upon that you're driving this thing. And don't get me wrong, I mean, driving through the Glen Shopping Center car park, I'm setting off car alarms, and everything like that. I get it. I get the cars loud. I get the cars obnoxious. <laughs> but things like this happen to these idiots. And I'll be honest, you get 
an absolute, I'll be obviously straight up, an absolute fuckwit in a VX Commodore doing donuts and things like posting it online, getting all this thing happening. A lot of cops don't understand. They see a VX Commodore. I'm driving a VX Commodore. They don't understand. That's an enthusiast car, everything like that. It still looked at the same way. And even um, Phil King, yeah, so when he did the detail and bits and pieces on your VR GDS, he drove that back um, through Ivanhoe or something, the yep. tray plate and that on it, got pulled over straight away. Cops questioning him, what's going on, all this type of stuff with this car. Little they know that absolute mint manual VR GDS, 30,000 Ks on the clock, probably pushing 80, 80 to 100 grand now in today's prices, but pulled over straight away, questioned about have you been in industrial areas, all this kind of stuff, all this thing that carries on because of this kind of stuff that happens. So, yeah, listens out there, line and Sam, this kind of stuff. I know you're trying to get Instagram followers up, all this kind of stuff. Troy's made a big name of himself for doing it, but if you see it now, Troy's pulled his hand in a lot. He's doing things at um, you know, race venues, all this kind of stuff now. you know, He's trying to get away from a lot of this home behavior and everything carrying on because he got himself in some legal troubles with it. He gets it, maturing, all that kind of stuff happening. But just think about it. Stop trying to impress your mates and everything like that because it does kill the whole enthusiast scene for the rest of us. So Yeah, and it's usually guys that are in – you know, st- bog stock VT Commodores oh, or VN exactly. Commodores that are pieces of shit. And then, like you said, the cops don't know the difference generally between a, a nice high-end GTS that's mint with low kilometers and, and a beta. Yeah. You see the same kind of car and, and it just, like I said, it, m- it might be a ca- someone driving out of a car meet and their car then gets pulled over and, and then maybe they're a millimeter too low. Oh, exactly. And then they get a defect and they're like, man, I'm not, I don't speed, I don't hoon. Yeah. And then it just creates like a bit of- back and forth between police and car people and then the news gets involved and they obviously pour fuel on it and hype it up and clickbait it and saying, look, look at these hoon car meets and then you got local politicians saying, we're going to ban car meets, we're going to do this. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, to listeners out there, like when you're 18, you've, you've got it out of your system, move on. I don't, don't condone it at 18, but I'm saying everyone everyone yeah. with a nice car has done it at some point. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a, and I guess been one of the hardest things here, and especially being in Melbourne, everyone say we've got no venues, got no venues and things like that. So, um, you know, shout out to the guys, um, Lance and um, Steve and all that who are getting involved in, the, in Heathcote Raceway because that's going to be an absolute fantastic venue, what they're doing there. So, millions millions of dollars are getting poured into that in time and effort. So, um, yeah, for everyone out there, we'll have a place soon, be able to do roll racing, everything like that. So, keep an eye out what those guys are doing because – much needed for us Melbourne guys. Yeah, and you, we weren't, we're not going to get sympathy from regular people um, out there, which which is understandable to an extent. Yeah. People that don't know, that don't care about cars, my car is just the point A to B. I don't care about it. I'm not enthusiastic about it. Unfortunately, enthusiasts and collectors are lumped into the hoon basket and, and yeah. they're not going to give us any sympathy. So the more the more idiots we have doing stupid shit, the more heat that gets put on us. So yeah, exactly. Like I said, if you're listening, just don't don't be a dickhead out there. Obviously as well, it's a safety issue. If there's, there's you know mums and dads around, prams, people in regular cars, I mean, back in the day, let's be honest, um, back in the day, my dad, you know, they used to street race back in the day, in yeah. the 60s and 70s, right? Um, it, it was known. My dad, I speak about it on, on the My Journey podcast that I did, you know, he, he you know, spun his wheels around a corner and yeah. I think of the late 70s, it was, it was around the 70s sometimes, collected some parked cars, went to Pentridge for five days. So, yeah. he's, he's seen Same. it. But, I mean, his thing was back in the day, he said, we'd never, you know, it's, it's not an excuse, I'm not condoning it, but we'd never- hoon and race in a public area we generally come to an industrial area at yeah. night and 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 push our cars a little bit and, and do some stupid stuff when no one was around so we the only person we're going to hurt is ourselves mm-hmm. i don't condone that neither but that's that was back in the day but like you just see some of these people doing doing stupid shit around roundabouts and you know trying to drift and having their mate record it you're just like mate you're just you're just killing it for the, for the scene so yeah don't do that shit if you're listening 
give us collectors and, and enthusiasts a place to go and a place to continue to go. So we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for joining us. Cool. It's our first episode. Thanks, Justin. Um, we'll anticipate you know, getting this out there. We'll see what the reaction is. I hope um, people out there enjoyed enjoyed it and we'll probably even look to do some possible Q- viewer, you know, listen to Q&As down the line if there's yeah, some questions about, definitely. you know, I'm probably more familiar with the American muscle car market than you are and you're more familiar with the Australian muscle car market, our journeys about my collection, your collection. We want people to get involved and ask some questions and, and possibly even have some some guests down the line. We're pretty well connected with- Yeah, definitely. We can get some big collectors and that online and stuff. So, um, yeah, some of the guys at, at HSV and things would be keen. Um, share this podcast around everywhere and um, let's see if we can make this ongoing. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it hope is. to get some exciting things coming up. So, it's at, at Rogue Bogues, one word on Instagram, on uh, Twitter, on YouTube, all social media platforms. Um, check out the HDT and HSV car enthusiasts yep, uh, page Facebook group. Facebook yep. group. There's a lot of good information there, Six or 7,000 followers. And then um, the podcast will be on basically everywhere you can listen to podcasts and on YouTube. So thanks for joining us. Thank you.